let's get started. We are on the bottom of 22b, Chafez Amud Beis. And the Gemara right in the bottom line, anybody who is a Torah scholar, right? And who does not, right? A very interesting idea that we're going to express over here. Who does not nokeim, which is nakama. Nakama means to take revenge. Noter means to bear a grudge. Anybody, any who is a Torah scholar who does not bear a grudge and take revenge like a nachash, like a snake, eno talmud chacham is not a Torah scholar. At, at first, very puzzling words. Let's see what this means. The Gemara asked the obvious question. Last week's Torah, por- uh, two weeks ago's Torah portion, we read, right? you're not allowed to take revenge, you're not allowed to bear a grudge. Now here we're saying that you should. What's going on over here? Where it says, when it says you can't take revenge, that's referring to monetary matters. What are monetary matters? What is considered to be someone who is taking revenge? What is considered to be someone who is bearing a grudge? Okay. Um, Nikima is the case like this. When a guy takes revenge, Amar he says to him, Ishilani magelcha, lend to me your ma- magel. Magel is a sickle. Amar says to him, Love, I'm not going to lend you my sickle. The Machar the next day he says to him, Ishilani kardumech, lend me your axe. Amar says to him, Any my shilcha, I'm not going to lend you my axe. You didn't lend me the sickle, I'm not lending you the axe. Ha ha ha. Right? Zuhi Nikima. This is the case of Nikima taking revenge. What's the case of bearing a grudge? Amarle, I go over to my next name. I say, Heshilani please lend me your axe. Amarle says to him, No, can't borrow my axe. The next day, my neighbor comes to me and says, Heshilani lend me your tunic. Amarle, and then I say to him, Hey, Lech, go ahead, take my garment. I'm not like you, Shalei Shaltani, you weren't ready to lend me anything. Zuhi Nitira. Passive very, aggressive very, very, very passive aggressive, and 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 perhaps even even worse than than um, than saying no, you can't take it, right? It, it it could be even more destructive to society. One of them is more recognizable. Either way, they're both bad, right? That's what we're trying to bring out right now is that when it comes to a monetary matter where someone wrongs you, it is forbidden to bear a grudge. It is forbidden to respond in life in kind, right? However, Saira de Gufa is different when someone personally harms you, the Gemara at this point wants to suggest that that's different. You are allowed to take revenge. You are allowed to be a grudge. The Gemara now asks, and is it not true that this also applies to Tzairah de Gufa, that if someone harms you personally, that you don't have this? If somebody is insulted and does not respond, if somebody hears the, you know, someone else, you know, saying nasty things to them, and they're quiet. If someone does a good thing out of love for Hashem, and are happy when they are suffering, whether they be happy when they're suffering, it doesn't mean that they're literally happy when they're suffering and looking to suffer. But as we learned in Masachat Brachot, right, in the first Sachta in um, Dafyomi, it means to recognize that even this comes from Hashem. About them, the Pasuk says, But those who love him are like the sun. When it goes out in its strength, right? I had the art scroll in Yaakov, okay, which has a extensive commentary on any Agadic passage. I had it this morning, and I was looking at what they said over here. They said a beautiful idea. They said that if you think about it, the Gemara teaches us that in the beginning, Hashem created the sun and the moon the same size, right? And the moon was unhappy that it was the same size as the sun. So it started complaining. Hashem said, Oh, you're not happy to be the same size as the sun? No problem. I'll make you smaller. The sun will be bigger, right? Now, 
the the sun we don't have any any answer any any record of what its response was to this question so the sun was able to take the insult was able to take the the fighting and it, and it just it just passively accepted it and because of that it became larger than the moon so so too if we are able to be the bigger man and and accept that people have problems and it's not my problem they have problems it's their problem they have a problem and ignore it and not escalate it then we will be like the sun in its track so the Gemara says, of course, you never took action. Just taking action for Talmud Kacham, that would be completely inappropriate. We just got finished saying getting insulted and not responding is the best option. So then we're telling you, if you don't take action and you're a Torah scholar, you're not a Torah scholar. That means. Rather, what it means is you keep it in your heart, but you don't do anything. Of anybody who is that has a uh, a natia, a tendency to take a certain action and holds themselves back from doing so, Hashem will forgive them all of their sins. The Gemara says, when is that true? The where they attempt to appease him, and indeed he was a That's where if he uh, doesn't do anything, Hashem will be very happy. But if the guy didn't even try to appease you, he did a terrible avla, he did a terrible wrong to you, and he didn't try to appease you at all, you're allowed to Think to yourself, remember, not a monetary one, right? Only a physical one. You're allowed to think to yourself this is a problematic. Now, why is a Talmud Chacham so much more important for him to do so? This I really mentioned yesterday. The idea being that a Talmud Chacham, he has to recognize that when he is insulted, it's not just him who's being insulted, it's the Torah that's being insulted. And therefore, he cannot just say, I don't care. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to let it go. He has to actually stand on the covenant, on the honor of the Torah. Okay, now we're going to continue to analyze the mission. The mission said that when they're doing this counting, as they stick their hands out, you can stick it either one or two fingers. The Gemara now asks, one second, if I told you you could put out two fingers, so why would I think you can't put out one? At this point, it seems like the Gemara thinks that you could have different people in the same group, something putting out two, something putting out one. The Gemara is to make it clear that's not what's happening. When it says two, it's referring to a sick person who is not able to hold up one finger. It's more difficult to hold up two fingers, it's easier. When it says one, it's talking about a sick, a healthy person to hold them on one. But Tanya, we learned in a It says that you can put out one finger, but you can't put out two fingers. What are we talking about here? But Bari, a healthy person cannot put out two fingers. But a sick person, can even put out two fingers. And in the individuals, the people who are the Yechide Hadar, the, the great ones of the generation, they can put out two fingers. But we only count one of the fingers. And is that true? We only count one finger? That even when they put out two, we count it as one? But Tanya, we learned in the Baisa. You can't put out not the Shlish, not the third finger, and not the Geidel, and not the thumb. Because the people who are tricksters and will, will uh, intentionally defraud people into thinking that it's really two fingers when they're really just one finger far away. If you put out the third finger, then they count it for him. If you put out the thumb, then we, then we do not count it for him because then they try to trick people. Not just that, they're also going to hit him with the fakia, which the Gemara itself is going to discuss what that is. The Gemara is asking this question now. My mind and lay, when we say that we count for him, the Gemara assumed that we meant this, that you count um, only one finger. I'm sorry, you count two fingers. The Gemara says, nami achas. When it says they counted, it means they counted only as one finger. My pakia, what's this pakia that you hit him with? I'm a rab. Rab says, madra. How does that help us? Not that much. My madra, what's a madra? I'm a papa. Mitraka de It's the whip that Arabs use. 
sick ratio that at the end of its thing, it's like uh, um, it's broken into like different um, strips, right? So when you get hit with it, it's not just one whip that's hitting you, it's many little little uh, cuts. I'm gonna buy it. Originally what I thought that that which is written in a Mishnah, I thought it meant something else. Ben Biboy was in charge of the Pekia. Amina, I thought this meant the Silta. He's in charge of the wicks that are going to go into the Menaira. Kedetanan, as it is written. They would make the wicks from the leftover garments that the Kohanim used to wear and the belts that they used to wear. That's what they would make the wicks out of. And they would light the candles from that uh, Menaira from there. Even the Shemana, the Tanya, now that I heard that, which it says in the Brisa, and not just this, and he would get hit from the officer using the Pekia. Amina, I then realized my Pekia, what's a Pekia? Nagda, it is a whip. Now, the Gemara now is going to tell us an awfully sad story, like a really just horrific, horrific story. Okay, so in the Mishnah, what we discussed is a case where you had these two individuals running up the ramp, and one of them realized the other one's going to beat him, so he pushed him. Right. Now, perhaps he didn't mean to push him and actually knock him off the ramp, but he ended up knocking him off the ramp. He broke his leg. At that point, they stopped doing the race. The Gemara now is going to tell us a story. There are two priests. So far the same. They're exactly the same speed. They're ruts and they're running up the ramp. They're running up the ramp. One of them reached within the four Amas of his friend and he was going to his friend was going to win the race. Not thou sack, and he grabs a knife with takali believe he sticks it into his heart. Amai Rabbi Tzadik, Amai Lesa Ulam. Rabbi Tzadik was the kind God that gets up on the steps of the Ulam, of the hall of Amr, and he says, Achenu Beis Yisrael, my brethren, my brothers, the house of Israel. Shamu, listen carefully. Hareyo Aymer is written in the Torah. Ki matzei chalal ba'adama, if someone is found that is dead in the land, and we don't know who killed him. Be'yatsu zikei nacha b'sheftacha, your elders and your judges shall come out. Anu, Right, this is the process that is known as the Egla Rupa process, the, the heifer that has never worked the land. And you take him and you kill that animal, whoever is the nearest city to the place in which this occurred. So he says, in this situation, who is supposed to take the Egla Rupa? Alair, should it be the members of Jerusalem who should take the Egla Rupa because this individual was killed? Or should it be on the courtyards? In other words, the Kohanim should bring this Egla Rupa. Right? They weren't oh, going to see that. Isn't the Egla Rufa only when you don't know who killed them? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Mama should kill them. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to ask that. Um, the Gemara is going to speak out that this is not, not, not a literal question because this is clearly not a candidate for Egla Rufa at all. It, it's a way of causing people to recognize their loss. It's trying to get them okay. to, to fully appreciate their loss. Yeah. Um, at that point, the entire populace started crying at something that they could have fallen to such a low level. Now, what do you mean they could have fallen to such a low level? It's just one priest who went haywire, right? You know, he, he had a, you know, a psychotic episode because he had some cannabis or something, right? No, the answer is that for one priest to do this, that's an indication of a rot in society, and therefore they recognize this at the moment. Now, the, the story gets more bizarre. The, the father of the young coin who got killed, not quite dead yet, as we will see, but he sees that he's in his last gasp, rose, the death rose. Amar, he says, he should be the atonement for you, which is an incredible statement to make. He should be the atonement for who? For the people who killed him and for the, the, the city that allowed for this behavior to become 
institutional, institutionalized, not the right word, but at least normalized that someone could have a thought, a brazenness of taking a knife for the sake of winning, it, it, it boggles the mind. She said his son, should, his son's death should be the atonement. But Dayan Benim Farpa, and he says, and also, you know what, my son is still, uh, still alive. And the knife that's sticking out of his heart has not yet become tummy because he's still alive. Take it out of his heart quickly and it will not become tummy. Now, what exactly is going on over here? What sort of father could have this attitude? So it's a little bit unclear what's happening over here. We're going we're to explain it in, I think, a way that makes it a little bit um, easier to understand. This teaches us that it was more important to them that vessels should not become impure, and that people should not be killed, right? And so too it says, and so too it says, and we learned this earlier as well, that Menashe was an evil king. He was spilling blood left and right. And because he was spilling blood left and right, until he had the entire Yerushalayim was full of blood, from one end to the other, okay? So at this point, the, the end of the story as it is related. We're going to analyze the story a little bit more as we turn the page. So we're going to go further and then we'll get back to the story. Hi, Maisekadim. Which story took place first? The story in the Mishnah where someone fell off and broke their leg or pushed off and broke their leg or the story of Mary killed someone. If you say the story, the, the, the blood of killing someone took place first. One second. That means that when the, when the guy killed someone else, you did not say we need to make a pious, we need to make a lottery every day. And when someone breaks his leg, then you do say so you need to make a lottery, right? Why would that be a greater impetus to make a lottery than the first incident where someone died? You must say that he broke the leg first. Even the Tekino Paisa, one second. Well, if they, if they already made the lottery, right? Then why is there a fight about who got to within four Amas first? There's no more running anymore. Indeed, the first. They thought perhaps this guy is just cuckoo. He's just cuckoo. He can't account for cuckoo people. That does not redetermine the entire process that we should do in the base Yeah, there's Even no the systematic part. problems. It's just uh, individuals. Got it. I, I think I see where you're going with this. Even the Chazia Pilu, Mimela Asuli de Sakana. Then when they saw that it, without even the you know, sickos, perverted people who were literally coming premeditated or at least considering the fact that they might have to do this, we're talking about regular people. In a moment of passion, he pushes the other guy. They said to Kinnar Banapai, so that's it. This is widespread. Get rid of it. We need to go to lottery. He says, listen to me. It is written in the Torah. You find someone who is dead in the land. Who are we supposed to bring it? Gemara now asks his questions. First question is not what Gershon asked. Second question is, can Yerushalayim be... Be obligated to bring an egla rufa by Tanya when we went to the As Sarah the Varm, remember Yerushalayim. There are ten things that were taught about Yerushalayim. This is one of them. rufa does not bring egla rufa. So you can't tell me this is a literal question. But another point. It says that why do you bring egla rufa when you don't know who killed him? We know exactly who killed him here. This was part of the process so that people could weep and cry over the sin and eradicate the the rat that is causing this to become prevalent in society. The father of the son comes and he sees that he is currently in these uh, death groups. Omar, he says, he should be an atonement for you. Okay. The Marashah explained that since we, we um, there was no, no process of a, of a Egla Rupa, 
the father actually said, you know what? I want this son to, to atone, an incredibly high level father, right? A, a descendant of Aaron, right? Truly a descendant of Aaron who's able to save a Yidom Aaron that he was silent. But Dayan Ben Ikayim, and his son is still alive, to teach them that it was more severe for them. They cared more about the, the vessels being um, tahar, pure, than blood being shed, right? Which is obviously a very messed up calculus. Ibrahim the Gemara asks the question, who dissolved was it that the Shrihastamim didn't care that much about bloodshed? And and Tyrus Kalim was still exactly the same level as it always was in their mind. Perhaps it was Shrihastamim Kedekaima Kaima. Shrihastamim, their level of respect and healthy level of fear of taking a life was in the same place that it should have been, the same level that it always was. But they got obsessive about the purity of vessels. From the fact that the Gemara says, the Gam Dam Naki Menasha, the fact that the, the Brisa illustrates by saying that Menasha was shedding blood needlessly, Shmami we see from here, that what happened is that it became very light in their eyes to kill people. However, when it came to the uh, the the Tahor, the, the purity level of vessels, that remained the same. Now, I think the way to understand this whole Gemara is the father is being very bitingly sarcastic. The father is saying, you guys, look what happened in our society. We have a society that cares. The Kayin is on his way up to go do what? To go clear the ashes from the Mizbeach, right? You're, you're doing this in the service of Hashem, right? And while you're in the process of doing something to bring us closer to Hashem, in the base of Mikdash itself, where you're not even allowed to use a knife or a sharp object to chisel the stones because we don't want to hear the sound of warfare. You literally on the ramp, you took a knife and you stabbed someone. The only way that something like that could happen is when you have a misguided, a completely skewed sense of priorities, right? To think that it would justify this action. Mind you, it's just a crazy action because he wasn't going to get to do the ashes. If he kills someone, nobody's letting him do the ashes, right? But the only way he could get to this point in space and time is to think to himself that this is more important. So what the father is saying is, wake up. Wake up to what's happening over here. Look at our value system got so depraved that this could have been an option for somebody to undergo. We learned in Abraisa. Upasha takes off his garments, but he puts on other garments. And then he takes out the deshen. I'm sorry, it's not the kengadal right now. This is actually the on a regular weekday, right? That when it comes to the Shubha Sadashan, to the removing of the ashes off of the top, they put on other garments. Shemani Kedarach Yemekipurim. I, I think that from here, you could see that also on Yom Kippur, a similar idea. She takes off his holy garments, but Levish Big Dechal puts on you know, mundane garments. Therefore, the Pasuk says, He takes off his garments, but Lavash puts on other garments that are on a similar level. The new garments that he puts on are similar to the garments that he took off. Just like the ones that he took off are holy garments, right? Garments that have some level of sanctity. So to the garments that he puts on are garments that have a level of sanctity, right? If so, so why does the verse say achirim, other garments? It's teaching you It's not quite the same level. It is on a lower level. Another perhaps not as fancy uh, material, not as fancy craft. It says that um, that he should go and take it out. This is coming to teach you that other types of kohanim, kohanim are not able to do the regular avay, the regular service, because they are a bali moment. They have a blemish. They're not allowed to serve in the base of Mekdash. They are permitted to take the dashes out of the base, the dash and the ashes out of the base of Mekdash. Amr Mar Mar says, 
does not teach you that they other people are permitted to take the ashes out, but rather permitted to put on other types of garments that are on a lower level of sanctity. The garment in which you cook something, bake something for your master, right? The, the, you wear an apron. You don't wear that apron when you come to the table to serve. It's a different type of garment. Says the same machlekes that we had in terms of are you allowed to take it out? So too, there is a machlekes is a kain who is a balmum who is a blemished kain. Is he allowed to actually lift it off of the mizbeach? It is a machlekes about the taking of the ashes already have been removed from the mizbeach from the altar. Now you want to know can you take it out of the holy? That is a machlekes. But everybody agrees that in terms of taking the ashes off of the altar in the first place, that you cannot do if you're a koyin, if you're a priest that's blemished. My time is stuck. What's the reason say to you, if I believe to you that this is an avayda, that it's an actual service to be to be taking the ashes off of mizbeach, then I have a problem, right? Why? Is there an avayda that is okay to do when you're only wearing two different garments? Because when it talks about the chumas adashin, the removal of the ashes from mizbeach, all it says is that the Kayan is wearing the, the Mechnesayim and the Ksainas, okay? Rabbi Echanan, Rabbi Echanan says, Gali Rachman and Ksainas and Mechnesayim. Torah says that you should wear Mechnesayim, the, the, uh, the, the pants and the Ksainas, the tunic. And obviously it's also including the hat and the belt. So why do we only list the pants and the tunic? Midei bad, midei kimidasim. It says midei bad, linen garments. It's referring over here that the garment should fit you properly. Um, what does it say? Bad, the linen pants. What's it going to teach you? Look at the Tanya, like we were looking at Bryce. I mean, how do you know that you don't put anything on your on yourself before you put on the the um, the pants? It says, sorry, that you should wear these linen pants on your flesh. It's going to teach you that the garment has the proper um, height. Okay, so this machlekes is basically when it says two two different garments, does it mean only these two garments? It doesn't mean all four. If you say it means only those two, then you understand that it's clearly not part of the regular service. Because if it's part of the regular service, you, you need to wear all four. If it's not part of the regular service, then even a blemished kayin would be able to in, engage in the process of removing the ashes. The fact that the Torah uses the word midai, right, garment, and not sekasainis, sorry, not fair. And then and the fact that he, how do you know that it doesn't go, that nothing else goes before the pants? Because it says, me alba, sorry, it should go directly on his flesh. Let's say this is whether or not a blemished tayin can serve, it's really why? Alba, sorry, it says on his flesh. Why does it need to say he shall also wear? Teach you that when you remove the ashes from his back, you need to also put on the hat and the belt as well. Rabbi says, why does it say that? Teach you that the Kayan Gadol, the clothing that he needs to wear on Yom Kippur, Shekshir and the Kayan had yet that. Rabbi holds that the garments that a Kayan Gadol uses on Yom Kippur for the Avaida, a Kayan had yet is able to wear the rest of the year. I'm a Rabbi. Rabbi says, two answers to what you're saying. Chada, number one, the, the belt that the Kayan Gadol wore on Yom Kippur, it's not the same belt that the Kayan Hedid, a regular Kayan wears the rest of the year, as we learned earlier in this Masechah. So therefore, you cannot tell me that Rebdesa said the Kayan Gadol's garments, the four white garments that he wears on Yom Kippur, the rest of the year he always wears eight, but on Yom Kippur, for part of the processes, he only wears four white garments. 
Yehuda says it is exact. I'm sorry, says that it is exactly the same garment as the kain hedid and can be worn by them the rest of the year. Yehuda disagrees. First of all, it's not the same garment because the belt is different. Is it possible to say that a garment that is used for a higher level of holiness uh, service that would also be able to be used for a lower level of holiness service? That makes no sense. So therefore, why does he say he shall wear what's coming to teach? The rabbis ask to teach you that as long as it is able to be worn, right? As long as they're wearable, right? They still have uh, enough, there's no holes in it, no patches in it, then you are allowed to wear it. Um, so the Gemara now is going to continue to analyze the idea of what happened to the garments on Yom Kippur once you finished using them. But that, Emir Tashem, we will save for tomorrow night, which will be at 9.05 as, a, as is on a regular Wednesday. Take care, guys. Be well. Good night.